Okay. Okay. I've got everybody way too loud here. Let's see. Amy, say something, please. Hello. Okay. <laughs> see, I would have said something, please. Yeah, I know. But you now <laughs> she has to say something calm, relaxing, professional. I just don't think it's fair. That's what we get yeah. for inviting grown-ups into the hangar. I know. I know. I know. Anyways, hi, everybody. Hello. 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 So, uh, without further ado, there is a list. Uh, it's a weird list. Oh, I, it is a weird list. I can't decide what I think about the list this week. but hmm. Let's play bullet points. It's like everybody pick one thing, do it, 30 seconds, and move on. 30 seconds? <laughs> you know, okay, I'm 60. This, okay, well, 60. You can, intro, you can intro it in 30 seconds. Yeah. but Five no. minutes. <laughs> We average no, 10 or 15 no. per subject. Yeah. No, we don't, I, think, we don't. I think that we could get who, what, when, where, why, and how in under a minute. Why would we want to do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just to see how far through the list we might get this time. Who, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, let's see now. 603... So we were talking on email about this guy who flew his airplane through the trees. Amy, did you see this 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 YouTube video? I did and I just question the 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 judgment. Oh, you think? Uh, <laughs> oh, you think? Yeah. No, no, no. But all all kidding aside, what, I was going to say all seriousness aside, which maybe. Um, what <laughs> aspect of their intelligence? Make, make up your mind. What aspect of their intelligence do you question? So this is a, a video <laughs> on YouTube of. Uh, uh, it, it's sort of a. Does, does, does there need to be more than one yeah. question for it to count? I, I well, you know, mm -hmm. I almost in my imagination, I almost in my imagination heard the guy shooting the video say, "Hold my beer and watch this," okay? Because <laughs> now I'm not suggesting that the pilot was drinking, all right? Um, but the but this is a, a grass strip, not level ground, small tail dragger, uh, takeoff that, roll. That, that the truly amazing thing about it. What's that? Is it what? was all downhill, and he still struggled. Yeah, so he's taking off, take off. It wasn't all downhill, but yeah. go ahead. Whoa, 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 whoa! What part of at some point when things aren't working, you abandon and abort? Now, Do I, people well, miss? Hang on, a that second. was a that was a tree farther away. I, 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 all right, hang, hang on a second. Just for, for listeners who didn't see the video, all right? Okay. The tail dragger starts his takeoff roll on this uh, uh, relatively short but not impossibly short grass strip. The beginning of it is somewhat level, but then it kind of goes over a, over a rise and then starts descending towards a row of trees followed by a pond. And we're all watching this guy bumping along and, you know, trying to get airborne and or, or not trying, as the case may be, in any event, failing to get airborne. Um and, he got airborne, and at the very last <laughs> moment, he got sufficient. He got off the ground, but nowhere is near above the trees, and he literally flew between two trees, to, and, uh, and and at an angle with one the right wing tip through the only safe spot on that side. Yeah, yeah. otherwise kinda, he would caught Kind of like he'd maybe done this before. Yeah, and then last we saw him, he's climbing out over the water, and that's when the video ends. Now, Amy, you said uh, you, you questioned this person's intelligence. Why? Piloting skill or just common sense? <laughs> well, common sense. I mean, come on. I, I, I'm teaching a primary student right now, and the first thing you teach them is at some point, if I'm not off the ground, I'm not going to get off the ground without overrunning the runway. I'm gonna, I, it's not working. 
You know, Mm -hmm. at some point I'm not developing enough RPM or whatever, but just like in a landing at some point, if I'm not on the ground, I better go around. Mm -hmm. You have to make your reject points on a takeoff, just like on a landing. So I don't understand why someone would continue a takeoff past that point if you weren't off the ground. He either had a problem with density altitude, a problem with being overgrowth, a problem with the engine not developing enough power. What what was his problem? Well, and and some people suggested that maybe he did this on purpose to show off. I think, Amy, I kept thinking about this about the third time I watched it. And watch how nice and precisely he put that right wing through the soft spot in that tree. And got to thinking to myself, the reason he didn't stop is because he's done this before. Exactly. exactly. Well, and in that case, I would say, oof, off with his I, head. I, I, because yeah, eventually would, that's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Unless I'm not justifying it by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I do agree he's done this before. Um, and I think maybe some of that might have been um, demonstrating it again. I, I, I kind of maybe get the feeling that he could have gotten off the ground uh, maybe a little bit earlier if he'd wanted to. I don't know. The, uh, the thing in, in watching the, the video, though, you'll note as he starts down the slope towards the water, um, <clears throat> the nose comes up, tail comes down. And he establishes an angle of attack. And once the ground starts sloping away, he leaves the ground. He's flying. And, mm-hmm. and you know, he's, he's at least maintaining altitude. And he starts to climb and, you know, turns right. And <laughs> it's just enough to get right between these two trees and scrape you know, the wingtips through some branches um, and keep on going down the road. It's, it's almost too cute uh, to be uh, one of these, oh, my gods, you know, here, hold my beer thing. I, I get the impression he's done this before. Um, yeah, I keep thinking it, of this demo tape for a stuntman. Yeah. And none of, yeah. this is to, none of this is to say this is smart. None of this is to say that I would do this or I would recommend this. Or anybody you're listening to would recommend any of this. It's not very smart, but he got away with it this time. Uh, probably got away with it a couple more times. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Don't try, don't try this at home. Yeah. What kind of airplane was that? That's a good question. I, th- I thought it was... Uh, uh, the, the, it's kind of a funky lens on this camera. Um, I thought thought it was a Stinson the first time I saw it, but I th- it, it might have been a Champ. I can't tell. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not real good at identifying these aircraft. And it looked Champ-like. It looked a little Taylorcraft-like. It looked a little. I mean, it's that kind of a small tail yeah. dragger. It had that wing. belly that made me feel like it was a Champ. Yeah, and it, but it also had um, the wing. There was a lot of dihedral mm, in the wing okay. that kind of made me think it was a Stinson. I don't know. So, there you go. Um, runway uh, uh, takeoffs that you just barely made it. Uh, uh, obviously, Is that, you that's got, tonight's topic. Yeah, right. No, that's well. That's 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 the moment's topic, anyways. And 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 I I've flown with all. Well, I haven't flown with David as pilot in command, but I certainly have talked with him long enough and uh, flown with all of you. And I'm confident that none of you would do something wild and reckless. But I, I get the feeling that that occasionally, you know, the runway is a little shorter than you realized. Um, any any notable examples of this? Jeb, you and Dave have spoken a couple of different times about a foam pole at the end of the runway at, at uh, Dead Cow. Well, there, there oh, was, yeah. there was, yeah, that, that, that takeoff from, from Dead Cow going to Oshkosh one year. Um, we used all the runway. 
and uh, it's only efficient, but, you know. It's just it's what it's well, there that's for. That's right. right. It's all we, we we was all there, and we decided to use all of it. Yeah. And uh, we uh, you know cleared the obstacles by at least fifty feet or more, okay. and uh, motored our motored our way home, motored our way up to Oshkosh. Um, was there some margin for error? Yeah, a little bit. There was a little bit left. Um, was it legal? Absolutely. Was it safe? Getting out of bed in the mornings is a risk. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Both of us had a comfort zone about the airplane, right, right. the load, and what we had to work with. I'd had the Comanche in and out of there in similar conditions. Now, there was a time on my way up to Salina to shoot aerials of a new runway. And I rented uh, the, the Leprechauns 150 and uh, a, a nephew of a buddy, commercial pilot, uh, all up and up. He flew, uh, he flew with me up to uh, Salina and then flew the airplane while I shot. Well, Craig's about 6'2 and about 225. Uh, I was a good 200, and I idiotically threw the camera bag in the back, and we left with full fuel. Warm oh. day. Oh, yeah. Oh. It leaned on takeoff. Oh. It leaned on takeoff. But that was the day that I noticed that written on top of the wires that uh, <laughs> are 80 feet north of the runway are the words, if you can read this, you're too fracking low. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought you were going to tell me that the camera bag threw the weight and balance off. I've seen your camera gear. You Actually, I think the camera bag probably helped the weight and balance, got the nose up. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Streamlined the elevator. Yeah, know? that's probably what it was. Yeah. 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 So, Amy, any... I, uh, I should have done half fuel and topped off on Salina and come back. But. Any you want to share with us? You take offs so that that was interesting, you thought, afterwards. Oh well, there was there was the flight into the little strip in the Everglades, and it really wasn't the takeoff. The landing was actually more interesting than the takeoff. Mm-hmm. The takeoff once it, the takeoff was really about um, you know knowing what your airplane can do, and the kit box can do so much in a short field. It needs so little to take off. It needs even with two people on board, even at at, at max gross. It needs 500 feet. That's going to say, does it even need 500 feet? With 500 feet off the ground or 500 feet above to get above 50 feet? 500 feet to, for, for the roll, and then you're off the ground. Yeah, okay. And that's heavy. That's it, with Barry and I and fuel and on it. What, maybe another 150 to get over a 50-foot? Uh, yeah, basically. I, you can no do it in under, two, under 1,000 feet easy. Yeah. For sure. And, and, you know, the thing of it is, if you keep it, if, if you pick up the airspeed, if you keep it, keep it down, nose down, instead of trying to do that best angle of climb thing. Right, right. If you, if you keep the nose down for a second, you build the airspeed, and then you just yank that sucker. Mm-hmm. And away you go. You go yeah. right up. Mm-hmm. Right on up. And, and, and that works and on, on, on a lot of airplanes. It works really on a lot of airplanes. You know, and make, the, the key here is the key here is not having an obstacle that you have to clear first. You need to have you know some relatively flat territory in front of you. Get some airspeed, uh, and then you can do just about anything you want. Mm-hmm. No, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now the the, the other key is understanding where your airplane is going to departure stall too. <laughs> well, yeah, that's going to say. So what do you, what do you push over at the right point? So. What, uh, 
All right. So you do go. What I was going to ask was, so when you do this this pull, do you pull to a, like a VX attitude, or do you go for yeah, that? basically, yeah. basically that's what you're pulling to. But you're getting a marvelous little zoom climb in the uh-huh. process. I would imagine. And so. and then and then the the other thing you've got to do, you've got to push over at the top of it, just mm-hmm. like you would out of VX to VY. So you need to know what your airplane will do. Um, with the, with the kit fox, that's a very efficient way to get over even that fifty foot obstacle. Um, quite frankly, it is not how we teach it in primary training, though, is it? No, no, it should, nor should it be. Nor should it um, be because it's a it's a move that you need to have some right. skill to be able to do. Right. Uh, um, no and, question and about you, it. You you need to know the airplane when you do it, also. Oh um, yeah. But there, this, that's you know the 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 VX uh, climb is is one extreme and and uh, the zoom that you you know just described is another extreme. But there, somewhere in the middle is is um, a, you know uh, the kind of maneuver or the kind of takeoff where you have plenty of of space between you and the the nearest obstacle, if you will. You get the airplane off the ground, uh, uh, and rather than climb at VX or VY, get some airspeed. That, um, and, and, you know, be climbing at the same time, um, mm-hmm. it affords you a couple of things. One, if you're a VX and the engine quits and the pitch isn't right or the pitch trim isn't right, you might have a trouble. You might have some trouble getting the nose down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to encounter that. Um, ideally if the engine does quit on a single uh, shortly after takeoff, we've got some speed, uh, that we don't have to get the nose down, you know, just cram it down. Um, and uh, we can use some of that speed um, uh, to dissipate and, and uh, find a little bit more distance, find a better place to set it down than straight ahead. Um, to each his own and, and each airplane and each takeoff and each, uh, um, you know, uh, area where you're taking off uh, demands different techniques. Those are kind of the three basics. Absolutely. Well, there's one more thing that is an advantage of the um, strategy that you just talked about, Jeb, and that is engine cooling. And engine cooling is really critical on these big bore um, high performance engines. If you're trying to climb out all the time at VY, you are really sacrificing that initial engine cooling. And Uh a lot of people are having trouble these days. Sure. with with overtemping their engines and all of the requisite um, uh, problems that come right. with that, there's there there is one depending on the engine and, and depending on uh, you know uh, how good you are with the mixture control. There's a real easy way to fix a lot of these overtemp issues on on takeoff with an air cooled engine, and that is to run up the fuel flow a little bit. Uh, have a mechanic adjust the fuel flow so it's a little bit higher or at least on the high end of the specification for takeoff fuel flow. More fuel um, means better cooling. Um, excess fuel will cool, help cool the cylinders. You still need you know, to uh, uh, monitor your airspeed and, and uh, uh, make sure that you know, still the, the engine uh, doesn't get too hot. But uh, you won't lose uh, any, you won't lose much, if any, power, and you can always use the red knob to get you back to a, a, a slightly leaner than over-rich uh, mixture, if that makes any sense, um, and get that power back. It helps, you know, that, that extra fuel will cool the engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, dude, before we go any farther here, i got to compliment you on your <clears throat> attention to detail. Uh, 
Cool. I've been playing on a couple of websites, looked at Aranka's and Stinson 108s, and it is a Stinson 108 in that video. There you uh, go. I, I kind of thought the first time I saw it, it was a Stinson, but uh-huh. I, did, I, couldn't, I didn't really pay that much attention. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, okay. that's very, very cool. Yeah. Thank you. On that note, uh, so we want to thank uh, listener Robert S., uh, who on Twitter was the first person who called my attention to this video. And, uh, um, and, and, my, and I want to send the word out to Robert S. and to all the other listeners who may have seen this video uh, who can might have any other background information about what this was all about um you know was this truly uh, an unintentional thing was this a a density altitude day was this somebody goofing off we'd be curious to hear more anyways yeah yeah is this really necessary on that note welcome folks to episode 240 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, they, now does that say you can't i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight clear around turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on Tuesday evening, July, uh, July June 21st, 2011, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is a whole bunch of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing this evening? I'm doing great, and no more lineys for you, dude. You're, you're already cut off. Yeah, I know. It's not July yet. It's not quite July. It's going to be July soon, uh, and then it's going to be the end of July, which is, well, maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't. I don't yeah, know. Do, doing good. Uh, we spent a few days uh, uh, humping around an airport with cameras and doing some work and finding out that uh, uh i should have bought the extended warranty uh <laughs> on you yeah. on me Lord. that's right <laughs> <laughs> and uh and but uh back rested gorgeous weather big storm last night it's been cool and dry here uh-huh uh-huh cool, cool and dry yeah that'd be nice wouldn't it yeah, yeah. oh man David. Unlike the 107 and uh 90 percent when i landed back here sunday night so now, David, you, you're the one that dropped the hint. Can you tell us where you've been, or, or are you going to hold that till later on? Uh, I, I should probably hold that till later on. All right. Someday in the future, we'll talk more about that. But uh, sounds like it. What little I know about it sounds very cool. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm hot and dry. Um, that's the weather report from down here. Uh, we need rain desperately. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it, looking at, and looking at the next rain, I'm not going to get it tonight. Is there still water in the pond? You can call that water. Yeah, it's down. It's down four feet. Four feet. Yeah. It's, I want a picture. Been, it's been that dry. I want to see. A picture. I, I I will. I will. I'll just, get just the camera out. Snap yeah, me a I'll quick the picture. I want yeah. to see, like you know, relative to the bridge, maybe or something like the footbridge. Uh-huh. Just. Uh, yeah. I'm really curious to see what that looks like. That must be pretty dramatic. It's it's pretty sad. Otherwise, what's going on? Been flying. I flew. Uh, what's today? Tuesday. I flew yesterday. I flew the airplane down to the avionics shop to get some work. Oh, done. you're finally going to get that work done. Yeah, how about uh-huh. that? Yeah. So uh, it's it's in the shop, and uh, you know, got to get it ready for Oshkosh, um, and uh, we'll see what the bill's going to be. But uh, there you go. Yeah. And also here in the hangar this week is our good friend Amy Laboda, who's talking to us from just up the street from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. So, how about you? Have you been flying? 
I have. Um, in fact, we did a trip up to Ohio and back. And really? uh, yeah, it was in, a wonderful trip in the RV tent. In, in the RV, yeah. with with the new six inch um, uh, inlets, and they made about a fifteen to twenty degree difference in the cylinder head temperatures on oh, climb. Okay. So two inches bigger uh-huh. per side makes what about a difference. In uh, in cruise, seeing great temps. Uh, instead of somewhere close to 400, they're mm. cruising in the um, 360s, 370s, uh, even if you play around with the mixture and get it real close yeah. to uh, perfectly peak or a little lean of peak, you're, you're looking in the, in the 380s. Okay. Which is entirely acceptable with oil temps in the 190s, where they were in at oh, uh, 210, 215 before. So that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot on that engine. So I believe we have finally solved our plenum cooling uh, issues and made it a happy place. It and had any effect much on thanks. What's that? Any yeah, none, zero. So Max- going from. Four-inch inlets to six-inch inlets um, has had zero effect on airspeed. Is that good? It's good. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, you went to bigger inlets. I see. Yeah, we yeah, went yeah, to yeah. bigger inlets. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, okay. and what the interesting thing is, is I think that we're actually going faster now because we can now use the top end of this engine that we couldn't before. Right. So we had it pulled back, and we were flying at 23-23 all the time to keep temps and everything in line and now we're flying at 24 squared mm-hmm. you know do you which run you a, couldn't do before do you run a lean of peak routinely we we are playing around with lean of peak what we're okay. running okay um we've got electronic ignition that advances the timing on one of the mags uh-huh. okay and then we've got a mag um and what we're playing around with, because of that electronic ignition, we can lean pretty aggressively and keep it smooth, uh-huh. obviously. Um, we're seeing, in fact, I can tell you exactly what we saw. Coming back home, I was at 8,500, 9,500 feet. Um, I was burning 11 gallons an hour, 24 squared doing 173 knots. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. Oh, be still my beating heart. Yeah, uh-huh. that's a lot of horsepower for 11 gallons an hour. Yeah. And smooth. Uh, yeah. And it was that, showing, like it was showing some of the cylinders are peaked, some of the cylinders are rich of peak, some mm-hmm. of the cylinders are leaner peak. So we still have to go back in and those nozzles. Uh, that was 8,500, 9,500 feet, but, but okay. density altitude was actually higher than that. Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. closer to 10,5 on the density mm-hmm. altitude because mm-hmm. yeah. it was a hot day. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's consistent with what Barry was seeing going, going up, too. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Yeah. And before David gets all nervous, let me jump jump in here and say that oh, yeah. I'm, I'm oh. Jack Hodgson, and uh, <laughs> I am talking to you from high atop Lookout Point in scenic and beautiful and actually quite pleasant right now, uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, so uh, uh, we're had a little, a very very small air, airport adventure um, over the weekend. But uh, but first of all, um, Amy, just to finish your story, um, yeah. so what airport did you go into in Ohio? 
Uh, we actually, Barry came and picked me up at Morningstar North. I was at Women in Aviation Headquarters for a staff meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we bopped over to I-69 Sporties. Oh, okay, yep. Okay, in Batavia, Ohio, where I um, had the pleasure of doing a wonderful um, motor glider uh, self-launch sign-off with Paul Jurgens. Really? He was great to work with. Had uh-huh. a blast flying their uh, Diamond, um, uh, what is it, a HK-36C, I, uh, think, the, the long, I think. The long wing, the long wing. Really Katana. long wing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tail drag or trike? Uh, no, this is a trike, but it was it was okay. a great little airplane yeah. and um, had a marvelous session with him. Really did. Um, yeah. We took up a nice Friday afternoon. And I was just thrilled to get the endorsement. It was something I'd been talking about wanting to do for a long time. And it's a sweet flying machine. Really yeah, it is. is. Yeah. So really you say self-launch. So you mean it has an engine in right. it? Yes, it has a Rotax in it. And uh, is it one of these ones that deploys and hides away in flight? or is it? No, it's in fact, front. you just feather it. Oh, it, oh so it's up front. Okay. Yeah, you, you, yep. Right. Okay, so now then my next question, does it in fact feather the blades, or are these these blades that kind of sweep no, 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 back no. and feathers. hug the fuselage? It feathers. It feathers. It yeah, feathers. feathers, okay. Yeah, yeah. a very simple system, and um, it really works quite well. In fact, uh, we even did one um, start without um, using the starter, Yeah. where you just put it in a nice steep dive, and I say nice and steep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But how, it starts how, right up. <laughs> how, how steep? How steep? Steep enough. Okay. You ever, you ever um, land a, a Cessna 150 with no power at 40 degrees flaps? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I probably have. <laughs> you know, point it right at the numbers, fly right up to the numbers, isn't point that, it straight down. and Isn't that the and, way you're supposed to land a 150? I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, Jack, Jack, Jack. We, we, we show you these videos. We give you this training. Hi, Jack. All right. Jack, All it right. depends on how big the gap is between the trees. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. It's exactly great. Right. It's great fun. Absolutely great fun. And I, I love the little switch, you know, because it's got what it's what they've done is they've separated the electrical system out so that you can isolate it and shut down everything you don't need for soaring. Right. Right. Um, so that you can have absolute minimal power and you're not drawing off the battery. And it's a switch. So you've got a power switch or a soaring switch, up for power, down for soaring, basically, or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just great fun to flip that switch, you know. And, uh, you know, you had your your right hand on the throttles and your left hand on the stick for power plane. Mm-hmm. And then you went to right hand on the stick and left hand on the speed brakes for right. soaring, mm-hmm. you know? So you kind of would, would do this right brain, left brain thing. It was great fun. Yeah. yeah. Those are cool little airplanes. They really yeah. are. They're, they're, they're kind of a niche market, but they're really cool. Well, you say a niche market, but then my neighbor two doors down has a STEMI, which is like the uh-huh. Rolls sure. Royce of self-launch um, right. gliders. Okay. Yeah. And I don't mean that lightly, guys. No, Go it look is. it up. S-T-E-M-M-E, the STEMI. It is a gorgeous machine. also has a Rotax in it. But this one, yes, the nose cone actually pops open and sure. the, and the um, prop kind of spring loads out. Right. And then when you're ready to stow it, you stow it. And it's just clean and it's a side-by-side. Um, it's got, I believe... 
60 or 70 to 1 L over D. <laughs> ah, 75 that's pre- that's, foot wingspan. He has to taxi pretty, it out, yeah. the wings folded. That's pretty extreme. Really? He has it's to ta- seriously yeah, okay. extreme. The, 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 the diamond's got a 27 to 1, which mm-hmm. is to be expected. That's pretty yeah. typical for a motor glider. But oh, yeah, the, hell, it's got three wheels hanging hanging out there. And exactly. The, the stemmy's got retractable. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the stemmy is as clean and as high performance a glider as you're going to find, and it self-launches. Right. What was the adverse yaw like on that? On, on the motor glider, it really, uh, the diamond, it wasn't a problem. Yeah. It, it flies just like any other glider I've been in. You use rudder first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you start the bank. And you can do, there's a couple of situations where you can actually kind of get it into a little bit of a, of a situation where it'll actually overbank if, you, if you're goofing around with the rudders the wrong way. But mm-hmm. once you showed me that, and that's a function of the T-tail, mm-hmm. um, then you can avoid it. Um, so when you're cross-controlling it for slips and, and stuff like that, you want to avoid certain cross-controlled situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when I when I when I say it's a, a sort of a niche airplane, uh, um, it is sort of a niche airplane. It's not you know a, a cross country cruiser. It's not acrobatic. Well, I guess it can do some limited acro. Um, it, it's a good Saturday afternoon airplane, especially if you like to soar. Uh, but um, it's not a cross country. It's not your RV ten. It's not your uh, your Kit Fox. No, uh, no, uh, it, it it isn't. Yeah. Although, you know. You, you could use it to go places. It's just going to be um, not optimal. Right, right. Yeah. And I look at my neighbor, Stemmy, though, and he can use that to go places because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's got such an incredible L over D, and it yeah. it tolerates higher speeds, mm-hmm. where the Diamond really sits at lower air speeds. And, in fact, uh, you know, I was watching our speed we had a pretty good upper wind that we were fighting. So, you know, in one direction, we were working in the practice area. We were only making 40 knots across the ground. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but most people who want to go soaring don't, don't want to go care that much. Yeah, don't about care about going places and, 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 and don't care about the ground speed or the airspeed. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, well, the thing about going places soaring is that it's the trip – Right. You know, sometimes there's a designated destination. Sometimes the destination is wherever you run out. Uh, and sometimes the destination's back where you start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just depends on the kind of soaring you want to do. But uh, when you get yourself into the mindset, wow, if I'm, if I'm on a diamond course and I'm making 40 knots across the ground, tacking up wind to the next thermal, I'm smiling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the other thing you have to remember is somebody who would want an airplane like that could actually go on cross countries where somebody in a pure glider, it's much more challenging because you've got to get a, a toe at the next stop. True. And with the yeah, motor glider, you don't. Or the crew shows up behind you with the truck and the trailer. Right. Mm-hmm. Call you out of the field. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, no. And, and of course, and and they don't they don't cost anything, yeah, right? No, they're all free. <laughs> they're all free. So, no, you want to talk they, about expenses. they just magically appear, you know, and there's ne- never any bill. 
So over the weekend, I visited the, uh, I was trying to come up with some clever word, the anti-Florida, the un-Florida. Um, uh, so I made a whirlwind trip up to uh, Warren, Vermont, which is where my brother lives. Uh, where, where, I love Warren. Where my, one of my uh, nieces was graduating from high school. And, uh, and uh, after the graduation ceremony, we uh, swung on by uh, the uh, Warren Sugarbush Airport, airport there in Warren, uh, sort of up on the uh, Valley Plateau, and watched the gliders for a little while. And that was very pretty it's just you know i mean on so many different levels it's a gorgeous place and oh, uh, uh they do terrific yeah. instruction there you know leah went to soaring camp for two years there oh i didn't know that and okay. she had yeah that's where she got all her flights and they they do a youth camp every summer there and i've actually done some rich soaring and thermaling it's one of those places where you can do thermaling wave and ridge soaring all in the same day so it's a very one of those very rare, mm-hmm. neat places yeah. Uh, yeah. where you could do all that. We didn't have an awful lot of time, so we just kind of visited the airport. We walked around on the edge of the uh, of around the uh, terminal building, if you will, quote unquote. I'm making finger quotes. Terminal building, um, the FBO building there, and uh, uh, watched the airplanes come and go. I, we were a little shocked by how. So one of the big things they do there is just sell glider rides to the tourists. So you come mm-hmm. in and you can buy a. Uh, I think you can buy like a, a 15, 30, and 45-minute glider ride or something like that. And uh, the 15-minute glider ride costs $108. Uh, and they uh, go all the way up to like $180 or something like that for the longest of the three. And uh, that's, that seemed a little shocking to me. We were trying to, you know, I mean, I know these things are not cheap, but that seemed a little high. But. Well, you've got you've to factor in the instructor. You've got to factor in the tow pilot. Mm-hmm. And you've got to factor in the machine, and they put you in a pretty nice machine. So it's the combination of those things that ends up costing money. And yeah, you're right; they're in the business to make money. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very pleasant day all around. Let's see now what's going on here. Oh, David. So we're going to play David's game. David had this idea, and so David said we should basically do. A, <laughs> I forget how he put it exactly, but uh, uh, so uh, so I'm, this is this is going to come up at the next board meeting. <laughs> oh, is it really? Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, let's see now. I'm gonna I'm gonna give the control of the board to David. David, pick a pick a category, and uh, and I'll be keeping score as we go. How's that sound? Okay, David, well, pick, pick some category for me to do. Yeah, pick one from the list that we'll talk about and. And, uh, you know, we'll see who, who is the winner. Okay. Uh, give me a five count. to. Yeah. Here we go. Well, in, uh, in the Whiskey Tango Foxtrot segment tonight, uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization weighed in on the light-squared interference with GPS issue uh, just a couple of days ago. And lo and behold, the same day, uh, Light Squared announced that it was moving to a different neighborhood, frequency spectrum-wise, uh, and having, cutting in half, that is, the power on their transmitters. Uh, we may have a resolution in route. Uh, I'd say the, uh, the the folks blanked. Ding. Yeah, well, now I was reading about this. Do, do you really feel like, have you had a chance to kind of, in any way, shape, or form, evaluate it technically? Is this a real, a, a for real solution? Or are, is this just too little, too late? This whole idea of, oh, we'll cut the power in half and, and okay, it'll solve the problem. Okay, quick and dirty. They, they're basing their move to this frequency spectrum they're moving to based on the uh, uh, chest that they did, where that slice of their f- frequency spectrum had very little effect on GPS receivers using transmitters that were half the power of what they'd proposed. 
So by agreeing to move their service down to that frequency spectrum uh, and give up the ones right adjacent to the GPS spectrum and keep with the half power, they're hoping that that will mitigate the, uh, the issue and maybe mitigate the opposition. That remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. But there's a blank here. A blink, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's it's you know, but see, they they had to realize some weeks ago that they were in big trouble. That this they they had really gotten them, you know, put their foot in it or whatever metaphor well, you want to use. They, they were doing the classic political reaction to it, though. Don't ever admit you're wrong. Don't ever admit right. big. Don't ever admit that it's any way your your shape or form uh, your responsibility. Yeah, uh, that it's really the other folks that are wrong here, and they've got to do it. Uh, you know, that's why we were going to have to filter and uh, we were going to have to realize that time moves on and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and our side of this argument hasn't weighed in on them yet, but there's definitely uh, some slippage here. So. Yeah. Amy, um, you know, we, we, the three of us have been talking about this subject for a few weeks now and, and you have, you've been away. Uh, have you been following it? Do you have? have oh, absolutely. Thing? And what's with- your take on this whole light squared thing, this whole GPS wow. interference thing? I honestly think that they thought they were going to get away with it, which just baffles the mind. And one of the reasons why I thought they, I think they thought they were going to get away with it is where did they set up the testing in one of the most rural and, you know, out in the boondocks places. Mm -hmm. And their hope was that nobody was going to be out there when they did the testing so that no one would notice. So what, and they you, seem to just completely forget about the airplanes that fly over uh-huh. all these, you know, boondock kind of places. And, and, you, and you but think, but people who were driving around out there said that it even disrupted cell phones yeah. when they were doing the testing. So you think they knew that it was causing interference, but that they were going to get it far enough along that no one would dare stop them. I think that they knew that there was a strong chance being that close in the spectrum that they would cause interference. Mm -hmm. They already own the stuff they're moving to. And they're saying, oh, we were going to do that on like the second phase, but we'll just move it over there now. I mean, this is this is their argument as of this afternoon. I was reading in Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the tech journals. And their 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 thing now, and I agree with Dave. They they did not admit any culpability on this at all, um, but they're basically politely moving to the you know bandwidths that are further away on the spectrum, and saying, yeah, well, we own them, so we'll we'll shift over there. Now, my question is, are they going to go back and try to get the FCC to get, give them back the money they paid? For the stuff ah, so close to the see, GPS, there, to the GPS you, spectrum, you, is going to be their next you, move. Right. You yeah. just you just got to the gist of the of the heart of the biscuit here, um, and this is where I in, enjoy uh, quoting Hal Holbrook: "Follow the money." Okay. Mm-hmm. That that's what's going on here. Uh, somehow. Um, there was some, you know, grand plan on someone's part. They know. It, it, the whole thing, to me, was just preposterous from the get-go. They're not going to clobber GPS. They're not going to be allowed to clobber GPS. Um, so they do, they do this dog and pony show, and they say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess we could move to a different spectrum. 
Well, there's going to be some incentive for them to move to that different spectrum, and they'll come out smelling like roses financially. And I would also suggest that maybe um, you know the, the that's what they wanted in the first place, um, and there was some regulatory or, or financial hitch for them to get that uh, that that additional spectrum. I don't know. But um, the whole thing was just preposterous to me from the get-go. No one's going to uh, hose down uh, GPS just so we can play, uh, um, you know, we, we can get our Facebook updates over our cell phone. We're out in the middle of God knows where. Um, there's, been this, there's been this question all along about this being sprung on the public when actually documentation-wise, a lot of the right I's were dotted and T's were crossed. But then when you got into the latter part of the process, the FCC started acting in a way that's out of line with its own rules, out of line right. with the Administrative right. Procedure Act, right. uh, other no-nos, and kind of hoping that nobody would really catch on to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, right in tangent with Light Squared's solution to this issue, mm-hmm. uh, they announced that they uh, just uh, pinned a $20 billion deal with Sprint to do work as a carrier for them, uh, it's like they're they're not slowing down what I am, no. uh-huh. uh, yeah. and I, and I'm not sure that the jury's completely in on this being able to go forward anywhere near that spectrum yet because the little bit of interference that they say may happen and the users that well, may happen to we haven't heard from them yet. Well, exactly. That was the other thought I had: is is what what market, what spectrum, what uh, industry is going to get gored next? Is this going to does this perhaps interfere with NSA, uh, NFBI uh, uh, bugs that they plan in people's homes? Maybe I could get behind that. Okay, okay. All right. okay, that's <laughs> it. All right. What spectrum are we talking about here? I'm I'm awarding I'm awarding this subject to Amy. Amy gets one point. Is a ding 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 noise. All right. Um, so what Jeff? if I get? Jeb Do I like the merits or what? No, no, no. Jeb gets half a point for the heart of the biscuit. I like that one. That's a good one. Oh, there okay. You go. Although we're going to penalize him a half a point for attributing the quote to Hal Holbrook when we all know really it was Ben Bradley, but that's okay. <laughs> Amy, no, you have control. It was not Ben. It was not Ben Bradley. Who, who no. was it? It was not. Bradley. It was Deep Throat. It's Deep Throat. It was oh, Deep yeah. Throat. Oh, all right. and he said so, it without so, his mouth full. Yeah. So right. not only do I get a full, I get a full half a point back. Yeah. So I'm not one and a half. Okay. You get minus half. Minus a half. Okay. I got minus a half. Uh, and Amy, you have control of the board. Pick a subject. Oh, pick a subject. Pick a subject. Okay. I am. But you have going... to phrase it in the form of a question. No, 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 no. I am going for. Where did it go? I swear. Oh, biofuels. Biofuels. Algae wood chips are approved for use by passenger airlines. Really, really, what we're talking about here is the ASTM, correct? Yeah. I guess. Okay. Was finally, you know, came down that basically says that, yes, you can use this uh, blend. Uh, basically, right now, I think they're talking about uh, C- Camila oil. Camelina uh, oil. What's that? Camelina oil. Camelina oil. Thank you. I can't pronounce anything. I can spell everything. I just need people to know that. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, jet fuel right now. 
So, uh, and, and they also, I believe, said that as long as it has certain, you know, spectrums, even the, the algae type uh, would be approved. So that's a big deal. Now, we're still talking jet fuel here. So anybody who's thinking about trickle, fuel, trickle down really needs to remember that, that these are blends made for um, impersonating diesel or, or kerosene um, and have very little to do with the avgas. Jet that, A. Jr. Thank you very much. Jet A. Jr. Um, where, where's that come from? What? what? Jet A Junior. This is this is much different from the uh, the the um, uh, organism that we talked about several several episodes ago. Right. That that basically defecated Jet A. Uh, right. Uh, if you remember that one, I do. And that one, I, we haven't heard a whole lot about that one since, have we? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. This this the great thing about the the uh, and I can't with canola oil, whatever it is, Camarillo or. Or whatever. Great thing about that is you can also use it to pop your popcorn. No, no, no. different thing. <laughs> different thing. I'll see now. There was some news. potatoes. There's some news came out of Paris uh, here about airlines planning to start using a fifty-fifty blend of this camelina oil-based uh, biofuel blended with traditional petroleum-derived jet A. Uh, and how many hundreds of pounds of carbon it saved per flight, or tons of carbon, I think, it saved per flight. Uh, and also it's supposed to have some nice attributes for the engine because it doesn't have the carbon in it that petroleum does, so it does not create some of the deposits that, yes, even turbine engines accumulate uh, that require some kind of cleaning. So... Uh, it, talk talk it, to it, me when this stuff is available in mass quantities. Well, that was my okay, question. Okay, I so, have a, I have a feeling that that's going to happen very quickly. Because I, I hope so. The, well, here's the reason why. There's two things driving this. One is the European Union's thing of carbon credits, and mm-hmm. they're trying yep. to push these airlines into paying if they are not carbon neutral. Okay. Two is the fact that the um, price of barrel of jet fuel has come completely uh, decoupled from the price of Brent crude mm-hmm. and therefore has become very expensive. And so even though we're seeing the, the oil prices starting to come down, the airlines are not feeling any of that. And, and, and what we're talking about here is a regulatory approval to start using this. Exactly. Right no, that right. Boeing flew, this, what was oh, it, over this, this, to Paris on a 50-50 this, this is demonstration, though, that the, the product meets the ASTM spec. doesn't say anything about production nor distribution of this product. Well, and, I agree with you. I agree uh, with you. And, on all and of course, the Boeing that flew over to Paris on a 50-50, ma- or on a 50-50, you know, a, a left side, right side or something. I don't know how that worked. Um, uh, you know, they probably had enough uh, fuel to get there, turn around and come back, uh, all things considered. And it was probably labeled experimental when it did it. Um, so I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see this stuff. Don't get me wrong. Uh, um, but I'm, I'm just also very, I won't say skeptical, but uh, until this stuff is available in mass quantities and, it's, and the, the distribution networks are established, um, 
it's it's all you know uh, just keeping score. This is, this is the kind of customer with the airlines and you know aviation military already homing in on the same thing here. This mm-hmm. is the kind of high demand customer that it would it, that will really help jumpstart the production part of it, not necessarily the distribution, sure. but there's a network in there to distribute fuels now that could be relatively easy piggybacked on this when the when when I agree these fuels with, are compatible and are gonna, actually destined to be blended. I agree I issue. agree with Dave that you don't need to okay. change anything about the distribution that you've got right now because you can run them in the same truck. They're they're blended anyway. You right. can just we, mix okay. them together. The bl- you can run them through the same pipelines, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. It's not going to change anything. It's Are we sure about that? Are we sure yes. about that? Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, sure. What what are the operational constraints, if any, that are imposed on the engines and the aircraft and the airframes? None. W- when this alternate fuel saying. is used, None. are we sure? Okay, that's I, what they're saying. Right. That's what they've right. been telling us. That's the I, demonstrations just, they've done. And my question yep. is: Can you brew this stuff? Do you, do the are there pre existing plants for brewing this stuff, or are they going to have to build uh-huh. new facilities? Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, certainly you can't make them in in existing Jet A f- factories. You know, what, do you need like actually a, the refining can be done with facilities that exist now with small modifications, like a big it's still? creating the stock that goes through the refining process. That uh, a big still, you know? Yeah, basically. Yeah, so they're going to take they're going to oh, eminent domain all the microbrews in America and uh, <laughs> oh, definitely not. There's more money in the microbrews. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, but but see if they if they they're going to come in right below the microbrews in in the spectrum and they're going to interfere <laughs> though with the microbrews. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so, Actually, right, what's go. really so, interesting about this really, is uh, they they're scavenging the carbon um, dioxide that's coming out of um, some of these high-end um, plants, coal plants, things like that, and they're actually using them to grow the algae, and the algae is using the carbon dioxide to produce the fuel, uh-huh. and this is this is where they get to the carbon neutral point. If you can produce the product, the fuel, and actually consume carbon dioxide when you do it. And then you're producing a product that, again, is taking a certain amount of carbon dioxide and, you know, stuff, um, emissions out of the system. Now the airlines can be consuming something that makes it more carbon neutral and reduces the footprint. And they can, they can argue, we don't owe you squat. Right. When and there's also, right. there's also a source control issue here, too. Uh, and that is the belief that they can get to a production level where using blends will let the, uh, increase the self-sustainability of our energy pipeline. Mm-hmm. If right. we and blend our own resources of petroleum with our own resources of biofuel and meet our needs, uh, they're, they're, what, what's going to happen is they're going to come in just below the jet fuel uh, uh, portion of the oil, the barrel of oil. They're going to come in just below that and grab that spectrum of, of the barrel. And what that's ultimately going to do is interfere with Skynet and the fuel that they need. <laughs> so then they'll get shuffled off to a whole different... Yeah. 
It's okay. Uh, I think we should ask Cal about that. Cal? Jeb, 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 it's okay. I've already awarded you one point for the uh, light squared callback. <laughs> all they really, all they really have to do is interfere with OPEC setting well, that's true. Jeb, you control the board. Pick one. Oh, and okay, the 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 dial is is rotating. We're going to spin. Okay, we spun the dial. It's rotating. It's going around. It's going around. It's going around. Hands on. Drum roll, please. Dun, 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 dun. High Flyer is accused of assaulting aid. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the story. Now, What's David, the story? David, David got off a plane in some unknown location and is sitting, I'm sure, in the bar uh, watching the, the scroll across the bottom of the television. And he sees something and he, and he picks up his cell phone and calls me. <laughs> And this says, Jeb, Jeb, are you sitting at your computer? Of course, I'm always sitting at my computer. <laughs> yeah. um, and he says, No, you got to, you got to put this, you got to, you got to put this on the on the list for the next episode. There's this, there's a story coming through about this, uh, this 83 year old high end collector, safari hunter, and global businessman from Nevada was charged Tuesday of last week with grabbing the breast of a medical assistant as they flew to Minnesota on the on the guy's own private jet. For a hospital visit, um, you know, I, 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 I guess I make this up. <laughs> we, we cannot make this up. Okay, um, got it. This is a U.S. District Court uh, lawsuit. Um, name is Bob Lee. Um, incident occurred in September, apparently. Um, the charge filed against Lee claims that he grabbed and twisted the breast of a paramedic. And that when she demanded he stop, he allegedly replied, "I can do whatever I want. This is my airplane." Well, I, I agree um, with that part, but yeah. Well, I don't know about that either. But um, uh, the whole thing is, eighty-three-year-old man going to the house, going to the doctor's office, you know, in his own, his, his a Gulfstream uh, two or three. Guy's got more more chutzpah than than I have, and I'm, and probably will have uh, uh, when I'm eighty-three. Uh, but the whole thing is just like, okay. But the other thing, though, is is I'd like to see a picture of the old man. I'd like to see a picture of the nurse. I see. Okay. I don't know what to say. I'm completely uh, minus one point for Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to take well, you got to take a half a point away from Higdon for for pointing this out. No, I was actually going to give him a point for you know I don't know for for you know industriousness. I was at my destination airport. I'm, I've, I've got about an hour to kill, and I'm meeting a, a, another person that's working with me on this project. Uh, I, I, I go to where I can get a cup of coffee, uh, and I look up on the screen, and it's you know the 11 o'clock news in this town, and there it goes across the screen. Well, they had the closed captioning on, and I'm reading what the talking head's saying, going, oh, wait, wait, there goes my head. all right david you control the board pick one (laughs) so i called jeff david i'm not going to be near a computer for hours put this on the list for me would you okay Uh, yeah i think no david yes sir there you go david you you made a loud noise and it caused the gain on your skype to go all the way down so we had a hard time hearing you for a minute there you control the board david pick the next subject Hmm. Oh, really? None of others. None of these others here are actually. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So you want to buy an airplane? Yeah, I like keep, these. 
you ahead. keep being told, no, man, airplanes are so expensive. Okay, here's a 72 Cessna Skyhawk. Total ownership available for 30K. Yeah. Now, it, it's a past TBO engine, but on, on the 0320 Lycoming, you know, when it, if it's not using oil, making metal, and it's getting compression, TBO really doesn't mean a hell of a lot. Uh, it's got an S-Tech autopilot with altitude hold, four-place intercom, and a recent annual. It's even got standby uh, suction for the IFR pilot. Thirty grand, okay. Sweet. The, the link will be on the page. Yeah, nice. nice I mean, you one. you can't buy a fancy car for that. Right. No, no, and and this even at one hundred and ten knots, one hundred and five knots, gets you to your destination two and a half times faster than driving. Oh yeah. Now, now you, I don't know. You're being, are you being a little casual about the airplane? Is it really okay to no. to go beyond TBO, Amy? Yeah, if the if the engine is within specs and it's not making metal and it's not burning oil, then it's really your judgment call mm-hmm. on yeah. when you want to take it down as long as it's not in a part 135 situation. You know, there there's nothing that says that you have to do an engine at TBO. Yeah. As long as this is Jack, strict, I, I, as long as hang on Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. As long as it's a strict 91 operation, not doing flight, commercial flight instruction in it, um, uh, you don't have to, you can fly the engine past TBO. I'd want to um, get a serious uh, oil analysis. I'd want to get a serious uh, compression check on the airplane. As a buyer, uh, you mean? As, as a buyer, yeah. uh, as, as an operator. Um, but, um, you know, I also start banking money for, for a, another engine or an overhaul. Yeah. No, that's, oh, yeah. Uh, don't don't you know, fool yourself yeah, into thinking yeah. that you can, that you can, engine you can fly it this way for a little bit, but yeah. Um, but I'd want to, I'd want to start making plans to get, put a new engine in it for sure. Yeah. And here's what's going to fail on this engine first. Yeah. That's what, that's all what the I accessories. To know. Oh, okay. The vacuum pump's going to go. You're going to have, uh, scat okay. tubing issues. You're going to have, Alternator issues. Um, what else, Jeb? Well, um, depending yeah, on whether those things have already been replaced. Well, it, it, what also say, it depends on whether they've been done already. Right. Mm-hmm. What also depends is is how long ago this was all done. If this is a high time engine of say twenty two hundred hours in five years, uh, I don't think there's any worries here. Even with the hoses and and and. Uh, the accessories, oh, yeah, um, no, no big deal. You might want again want to uh, keep that in mind when you go to rebuild uh, the firewall forward sometime soon. But uh, if this is twenty two hundred hours over twenty years, um, I, I, a I got to think that the accessories have been changed out at least once over that period of time. Yeah. B um, I'd pay again real close attention to, to the hoses and uh, the mags and, and things like that. Um, well. And you hours. say that you say that about the accessories, but we actually bought an airplane like that with a 22-year, 1,600-hour engine, and the first thing that went within the first three weeks we had it were all the accessories. Right, right. Yeah. So well, and I've I've known a number of guys who had O320s in Skyhawks and Cherokees, in particular, that flew them 100, 110 hours a year, 130 hours a year. And had them go twenty four, twenty five hundred hours, uh, right. and 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 in and in two instances where I knew these guys, when they decided to have it overhauled or replaced, 
it still wasn't making metal. It still had compression in the 70s and still wasn't using more than a quart about every 12 or 13 hours. But they finally lost their nerves. And one of these days, yeah. now all the accessories had been replaced or overhauled a couple of times. Freaking vacuum pumps. God knows how many times that went through in that time. Yeah, no. Well, the Cessna vacuum pump. Yeah, one. really. When you've got an, air, when you've got an, uh, an engine that is, is old like this but not showing the signs that you talked about, is it wise to baby it a little bit or, or do you just operate it normally? In other words, I would op- operate it normally. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you don't want to baby <clears throat> an engine. An engine needs to, to feel itself out. You know, you don't want to beat it. Right. That's the, the, you know, you want to operate it inside the normal specs. Yeah. Jeb, you you were saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, You want to operate it as you operate any any other engine. Um, Full power takeoffs, uh, lean it it correctly, keep it cool. Um, It should be be fine. Um, The O320 is a very bulletproof engine, and 2,200 hours on one would not scare me at all. Again, you know, there, there's various caveats um, about the accessories, about the hoses, about various other components under the under the cowling, not just the engine. Yeah, yeah. So. You check the airframe for corrosion, fatigue, make sure everything, all the ADs are up to date. Uh, you, you, you go out and fly around the patch three or four times, drain some oil off for the sample. <sighs> Uh, do a compression check, see what it looks like, and look at the oil analysis. Are, are we sure this is an O three twenty? Seventy on a seventy two Skyhawk, yeah. Okay, when when was the switch? It's like sixty seven. Sixty from the O three hundred. Yeah, I think it was earlier than sixty seven. Was it sixty two or sixty three? No, it was later than that. But yeah, I'll, t- I'll take I'll take this as a as a homework assignment. Okay, that was great. Uh, I'm going to award all of us one point for that one. It was a <laughs> very nice little conversation there. I like that. Um, and I'm going to pick the next one. Um, a a bittersweet off field landing of the week. Uh, we lost a B17 this past week. Oh yeah. And uh, and although it involved some some apparently spectacular flying by the crew on board um, because there were seven people on board and everybody got off uh, 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 safely. Uh, one person got bumped in the head, but uh, and nothing really life-threatening. Uh, sadly, the aircraft was lost uh, totally. Uh, we're almost, I mean, probably parts may be available, but they, it burned on the ground. And uh, So this is a uh, the Liberty Bell, I believe it was, uh, B-17, that was operated by, I'm searching, somebody help me here. What was the organization that operated this aircraft? Liberty Bell. Is it Liberty Foundation? Liberty, that's right. Yeah, Liberty Foundation. Um, uh, Was uh, taking off and uh, apparently developed some sort of problems, probably an engine, well, almost certainly an engine problem because eyewitnesses saw fire coming from one of the engines. Yeah, Um, there's there's images of that, you know. The crew managed to put it down in a cornfield. And we're, you know, it's, 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 Impressive enough to put a 172 into a cornfield. To put a B-17 into a cornfield <laughs> right. successfully, I, I just cannot tell you how impressed I am um, that he safely put this aircraft on the ground and everybody uh, evacuated um, before the fire took hold. And uh, But then we've got some, some really sad pictures of it burning. And uh, Have we seen this airplane? Has this airplane been to Oshkosh recently? I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, recently, Off- but it's been to Oshkosh. Yeah. Offhand, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. 
Has there been any reports, any more reports on exactly what happened here? Was it just an engine fire? The, uh, the, the, the operator of the aircraft, Liberty Bell Foundation, on their website uh, put up a rather lengthy and detailed um, uh, memorandum, for lack of a better word, on, on what they perceived to be the facts of, of what went wrong here. There was maintenance done to the aircraft uh, in the couple of days before this event, um, but there's no evidence at this stage that the maintenance performed had any any impact on the event itself. Uh, um, they had departed. They were four or five miles from the runway after takeoff. Chase airplane um, noticed uh, fire in the left wing. Said, "Get it on the ground. Get it on the ground." Uh, there's ATC uh, uh, recordings of this available. Um, and they did. They put it on the ground, and everybody got out. It was a great airmanship. It was great decision making. Um, I'm 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 reliably unreliably informed that maybe this was a, a a fuel pump that had gone bad and that had started the fire in the wing. Um, whatever it was, um, it was they couldn't they couldn't resolve it from the cockpit, and and once the aircraft was on the ground and once everybody got out safely. Um, I'm told also, I think in this, this particular memorandum from Liberty Foundation, that the, the field on which they landed was fairly muddy. And if you look, there, there are some overhead images available that do show some fairly deep ruts um, um, being made uh, by the aircraft rollout. Um, the local fire department, which responded to the event, um, stopped. They did not approach the aircraft because they assessed the ground is too muddy. Mm-hmm. And um, before they could, in fact, get fire equipment to the airplane, it was basically consumed by the fire. Yeah, yeah. We're glad no one was hurt then, and exactly. we're impressed by the flying. But it's very sad to lose one of these things. Well, one story I saw said that there are now only eleven airworthy B-17s left in the world, and uh, that's pretty sad. Where do you guys fall on the subject of whether these old airplanes should be flying or not? Yes. Oh, fly them. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think. Uh, as long as we have several in uh, in a museum somewhere uh, that we can go look at again to see what they were like and, and you know kind of thump the skin and, and imagine being at 20,000 feet and having uh, 50 caliber bullets come through that aimed at you, um, I think uh, we should be trying to keep them flying as long as we can. Uh, there will perhaps someday come a point when it's either no longer economical or, or no longer um, uh, reasonable, I don't know how to define that, um, to, uh, to be flying these aircraft. I'm just glad that day has not yet come. Yeah. David, I would presume you fall into the fly them camp, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's been my good fortune to get rides on 17s three times in my life. Uh, where do I stand on keeping old airplanes like this? Uh, at every opportunity in the pilot seat. Well, you know, look, where where do you stand on keeping um, nearly extinct animals in the wild? You know, sure, we keep a sample in a zoo somewhere, but but don't you really want them to be a wild population? Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And I agree with you guys completely. I think we're unanimous on this. Uh, we are running out of our uh, close to the end of our allotted time here. Uh, we're going to do the shout-outs that are on the list, but Amy, why don't you pick one last item on the main list, and then we'll wrap it up. 
Ooh, one last item on the main list. Or, or something I, else that's not on the list, whatever. Works. No, 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 no. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Thin um, air is good. What's that? The thin air is an is is an eligible space. Yeah, thin yeah. air. There you go. Yeah. No, <laughs> I I wanna I wanna attack the thirty six thousand airplanes affected by the new Cessna AD. Yeah, really. What's the Jack, issue? You stuck it on there. Um, it, it, doesn't that have to do with some of the stuff um, that they've already had ADs on, but now they've expanded it? Um, tell me, Jeb. Um, that's that's the way I read this. The, the, the Cessna seat rail AD. Uh, and I put, I'm making finger quotes on this, has been out there for eons, seemingly. Uh, and this has to do with uh, ensuring that the uh, locking pins on the seat mechanisms fit into these rails mounted to the floor of the aircraft so that the seat doesn't move at inopportune time, shall we say. Um, this has been an AD for, I, I don't know, Amy, what, 20 years? Oh, easily uh, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. and, and they've, they've had to revise it periodically. Um, they've added, you know, different aircraft models uh, in the Cessna line to it. They've added different AMOCs. They've added different um, um, part numbers, all this kind of thing. Um, I don't know anything about this specific AD, but this is nothing new relative to Cessna fleets. The Cessna fleet, uh, if anything, um, we're basically talking uh, everything below the the piston twins. Uh, the the but in, including uh, the, the 303 Crusader and the 336 337 uh, the Skymaster line. But now, according um, to this Abweb piece that we're looking at, um, this AD has a deadline on it. Is that not the case? No, we all have deadlines. Well, how could it be around for 20 years if there's a deadline on it? How does that work? <laughs> it's a, but it's it's been it's been revised it's been revised. The models have been added to it. They've changed the the method of of compliance. They've changed AMOCs. Uh, they keep revising it as as either um, new materials and new parts, uh, new service bulletins become available from Cessna, and or um, the problem starts to pop up in other airframes, and they've added those airframes to the AD. I'm not sure. Uh, which is the case here? I, I'm, I'm not a. Uh, I'm just not familiar with the, the history uh, of this particular AD vis-a-vis Cessnas. Um, but um, there's always, you know, it's, it's like you know, we've always been at war with Eurasia. Um, there's always been a Cessna seat rail <laughs> AD. Okay. Well, and, you, and, if and, you'll if you'll allow, go ahead, David. Well, yeah. The old AD requires repetitive inspections and replacement of parts under specific conditions, usually the rails and maybe the pins on the seat. The new AD retains all the requirements of the previous AD, but adds steps to the inspection procedure and improves associated graphics. That means they Thank got you. better drawings. Thank you. So, Thank you. Uh, See, you know, basically anything with a piston up to a 337. I guess, you know, being the naive non-owner, I, I had always imagined that ADs would be well-defined, finite things that you could complete, but apparently not. <laughs> well, some of them are. Some of them actually some are. Of, some, some of them, them have are, terminating yeah. actions, and you do the terminating action, and it never comes up again. Yeah. Some of them are one-time inspections but then, and, and, uh, then, and or one-time parts replacements. On my airplane, for example... Um, Airplane came from the factory with magnesium elevator horns. These uh, are yes. um, these are uh, components that uh, um, basically are, uh, fit on the torque tube, 
and um, the the cables actually fit in. Or I, I don't know how it all works, but uh, basically they're they they help rotate the um, the elevators in their axis and, and lift them or lower them. These are magnesium from the factory, and there's an AD that says uh, you have to inspect these for cracks periodically. Um, but if you install the aluminum version of these components, it terminates the AD. Yeah. And which do you think I did? Yeah. Our Comanche had a 100-hour AD on the muffler. Right. Unless you replaced it with a different muffler of a certain type, and you terminated the AD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and and that that is the same way on the RV10, where they came out with not an AD because you can't get an AD on a, a experimental airplane. We won't go there. We've been there before. Um, but oh, yeah. if you double the plates on this one bulkhead in the back by the tail, then you no longer have to go back there and inspect for cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, the Rockwell Commanders now have an AD out for inspection of cracks in the tail. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it takes a very specific boroscope with a camera, Uh a very skinny Uh one, very high tech, in order to get back there to actually take a look. Mm -hmm. I know this because a consortium of mechanics around here went in together and spent $1,200 to buy one of these things in order to do these inspections because all of these airplanes have to have this inspection of the 112 and 113 fleet. There are some ADs that never, ever, ever go away. For example, there are a bunch of ADs on Piper airplanes that use bungees in the landing gear. That includes fixed gear and retractable gear airplanes. And there are ADs on those bungees that command that thou shalt replace on three-year cycles. Mm-hmm. Time and type, number of cycles notwithstanding. It lasts three years, you replace it. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shout-outs. What do we got here? Who's got a shout-out? Mm. Anybody? Cal Holbrook. David, I think you've got one, at least one there. Go ahead. I do have at least one. Where did it go? Well, I don't even have to go that far. Uh, this is to my my old and good friend, Susan Sheets, uh, of the D.C. area. She used to, uh, well, she helped found, organize, and run a, a, an aviation association for about 20 years and was unfairly and unceremoniously dumped by her employer. But she nonetheless continued to pursue her private pilot training. Uh, and uh, let's see, today is, what, the 24th? First, and she about uh, a week and a half ago finished her check ride flying out of Manassas. is now a legally licensed private pilot and aviator of the new kind. Watch for our friend Susan. She's set a goal to visit as many Virginia airports as she can, and then start spreading out her reach from there. And from what I understand, she's really good in a one seventy two. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Congratulations to her for yeah, that. Yeah, congratulations to Susan. Uh, I ran into her. It's been going on two years now uh, in the in the uh, FBO there at Manassas, and she just come back from a uh, a lesson that was, I think, a pre-solo lesson. So uh, it's it's been a while. It's been a long road for her, but congratulations and thank great for sticking with it. Yeah. Other shout-outs? Anybody? Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
Don't have any. Uh, shout out to Sarasota Avionics. Uh, they've got hey. my airplay. So and, please uh, be careful. So please be good, you know. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I guess I'll, I'll throw a shout out out there uh, once again to Eastern Cincinnati Aviation for taking such good care of us while we were up there two weeks ago. I have to, that, my compliments, I love being there on Saturdays for the for the hot dog and and uh, conversation at the liars table upstairs. Uh, it's just a wonderful place <laughs> to hang out. Sounds like a podcast, I know. Let me let me do one more quick one here. Sure, go ahead. Uh, we've been in the we've been in the same accommodation uh, establishment at Oshkosh with these folks on occasion. Uh, Rich's incredible pyro, oh, yeah. uh, Rich and D Gibson. Uh, they're the ones that do that amazing thousand-foot-long wall of fire that kind of lights everything up at Oshkosh and other air shows. And uh, they won the. They've been designated to receive the 2011 Bill Barber Award for Showmanship from World Air Show News Magazine. Oh, very uh, cool! World Air Show News Magazine is kind of the trade magazine for the folks that perform at air shows. And I don't think I have ever seen the Barber Award go to folks for something that was not flying or a flying act. So uh, this is a groundbreaker, kind of like us getting that plaque on Gordon Baxter last year, first podcast, first time it was a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Rich and Dee, congratulations from us. Uh, we look forward to seeing your handiwork at a little air show in Wisconsin we plan to attend next month. That's right. That's right. Do you listen to aviation podcasts? Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding? (laughs) Like Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. It does things that nothing else can do. Then tune into EAA Radio Monday about 6 o'clock after the air show. How absurd. Not really. Uncontrolled Airspace will be recording a podcast episode and broadcasting live on EAA Radio. Well, that's different. How long will it take? It's about 90 minutes of hangar flying with Jack Hodgson, Dave Higdon, Jeb Burnside, and friends who stop by their virtual hangar. Talking about whatever they were talking about. I dare say I wouldn't look all that good. Jeb is absolutely right. Do we have a catastrophe in the making here? Nah, they won't see you. It's on the radio. Is it really? This gets the stamp of approval. I'm really hot for the idea. Monday night about 6 o'clock right after the air show on EAA Radio. Down boy. Down boy. (laughs) Well, before we wrap this thing up, I have to say we have a winner. Let's see now. How does this, uh, uh, the tote board here... Um, (laughs) I finished the uh, the episode with a grand total of minus one half point. All right, so <laughs> I did not win. All right, let's see. Next, we've got Jeb. Jeb ended up with one point um, after a couple of penalty points, but a couple of positive points. Uh, but then uh, with two points was David and Amy. You had three whole points here in UCAP Jeopardy or whatever the heck we're going to call it. Really? Yes. So congratulations. <laughs> uh, there will be some swell prize. I have no idea what it is, but uh, I don't know. But you can be... You- can bet on the small part <laughs> you can bet on the small part and i think it's going to be something on the order of a free subscription to the ucap podcast so the UCAP podcast. That's right. That's right. Oh, i don't know i don't know i was just looking at a picture of jack amongst the crew of uh arrow camp the other day did you see that jack acro, acro, camp? acro camp. camp yes acro camp yeah yeah that's uh uh 
that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I, uh, Steve Tupper, who's the uh, sort of producer director of that whole thing, uh, is uh, is just plugging away to finish the movie. And we're all looking forward to uh, it. It's it should be really cool. He's been sneaking out little bits and pieces every now and then. And uh, um, I know that in fact he's also uh, in the process of casting for number two. The uh, the yes, open, he is. Open That's casting calls out there. And did you apply? You should, Amy. Uh, well, oh, you're already I Afro have- though. I have a problem. I'm not already acro. I'd qualify on that, but I've, I'm I'm a, a pretty experienced tailwheel pilot, mm-hmm. and he really wants somebody who needs that endorsement. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that kind of disqualifies me. Yeah, I was looking at it close, though. I was looking at it really close. Though. Well, you should talk to him. Maybe you'll get an exemption or something. But uh, he's uh, yeah. They're at the very tail end of the what he calls the casting project process. Um, I suspect that, that that it ends before this podcast will be out, hit the streets. So, um, but the, the podcast, but the uh, the Acrocamp One movie is coming down the road real soon, and Acrocamp Two is going to happen sometime soon i don't know if i can tell say i don't know exactly when but uh, it's coming up it's going to be very exciting and uh, well are you going to be a movie star that's all i want to know uh no i'm not gonna be a movie star but uh, i i desperately hope to go and and just kind of kibitz once again somewhere good it, back of my brain ringo star just started singing <laughs> which song i'm not sure i want to know really which but. song yeah which song because we just invited Dave to sing. I want to get really... me in the movies. They're going to make a big star a big out of star me. big star out of me. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah. speaking oh, of big man. stars, Amy, thank you for being with us this week. It's always a blast. Uh, Amy Laboda is a freelance aviation writer and is the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you and your magazine on the Internet? They can find us at afwdigital.org or www.wai.org. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where are you on the Internet? Well, I'm at jeburnside.com. I'm at aviationsafetymagazine.com, sometimes at avweb.com, and sometimes at aea.net. But before we walk away from that, the uh, first, uh, the last production year for the uh, Continental O300 powered 172 was 1967 with the 172H. In 1968, the 172I brought forth the uh, O320 Lycoming um, and uh, five more, uh, uh, five more horsepower and a little bit better performance, and that's where the uh, that sweet spot is. So there you Sounds go. Sounds good. Thank you. Very good. Dave Higdon, an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Oh, the World Aircraft Sales tab on iavbuyer.com, Blake Jeb, AEA.net occasionally. Uh, Or, you know, just roll the dice and check at the post office nearest you. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us in the Uncontrolled, at the Uncontrolled, in the Uncontrolled, uh, some other preposition, I don't know, airspace, 
Uncontrolled Airspace website. Easy for you to say. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation <laughs> movies list, the you new radio web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, first of all, Jeb, what did you say? He, he did the wiki thing. He hasn't done the wiki thing in a long time. He huh? hasn't done the wiki thing in eons. Yeah. David, what else were you going to say? The best way to live this long is to go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And you can get the Oshkosh no tail. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Yes, get the no tail. TTFN. Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville. What is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville. What is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes. Select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert. What's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. <laughs> <laughs>